I want to begin today with a confession. And the confession is that there are times when ancient Bible stories from the pre-modern imagination can easily, if I let them, get in the way of my faith rather than inspire it. And the story of the transfiguration is one of those. Or in fact, any stories of transfiguration, whether about, they're about Moses and the veil, Jesus with Peter, James, and John on the mountain, or its close cousin, the story of Jesus' ascension, all these at some level leave me scratching my head. It's clear to me that studying the stories, they're in part about our seeing God and seeing one another and seeing Jesus and truth and the world and so on in some new light or some new perspective. It's also clear, however, that they are about God's transforming power and glory in the physical world, in nature. And in this sense, these stories have more to say as recalling stories of Jesus' birth or prefiguring and echoing Jesus' resurrection or perhaps even more incredible, our own resurrection of our own bodies, which we affirm each week when we say the creeds. I know what's going to happen to my body after my death and to your body after yours, even if I don't know how long the process will take. So what are we to make of all this physicality in the story of faith? It's tricky. It's not immediately obvious. Well, certainly we can say that the physical world, including our own bodies, are part and parcel of what it means to have life that our bodies, our surroundings, and our circumstance are not only ir not irrelevant to who we are, but somehow are an integral part of who we are. Some of you familiar with the work of theologian and novelist and great chap, Frederick Beekner, who once wrote, talking about this notion that the body is something we should leave behind and the soul goes marching on, says the idea that the body dies and the soul doesn't is an idea that implies the body is something really rather gross and embarrassing, like a case of hemorrhoids. The reality is, he says that, the reality is, whether we believe it or not, is that our tradition says not so much that we have a body, but that we are a body. We are bodies. How we perceive and experience the universe around us, what makes us who we are, shapes our being, our responses, our aspirations, our imaginations, and our identity. I'm one of those people who enjoy the edges of science with its talk of ever-expanding universes and parallel existences, matter and antimatter on the macro level, and matter itself as fundamentally energy in relation on the micro level. I realize that's not everybody's cup of tea, but it's there more than in stories of transfiguration that I tend to be pointed toward the importance of physicality and the way my imagination is shaped. I can also find my imagination shaped by poets. I can also perhaps even more surprisingly find my imagination shaped by philosophers. A favorite of mine is Jose Ortega, Ortega y Gasset, who memorably said, I am myself plus my circumstance. That it is somehow me in relation that makes me who I am. But all of these stories and images and poems and philosophies and ideas all get us to the same place, that our physicality is part of what God has made and what God has deemed to be good and is fundamental 
to God's purposes in some way, shape, or form. It's what our earth stewards remind us of over and over, that we're not just talking about some calculation about the depletion of resources and how we ought to care for the world better. It's about recognizing that our environment is fundamentally shapes who we are. We see the world differently and experience the world differently, not necessarily better, not necessarily worse, but different when we worship in a place inspired by Gothic architecture that takes our eye and our imaginations up towards the cross and towards some higher place. That's very different than worshiping in a theater where our eye is taken toward the actors on a stage. This is one reason why people who've lived their lives in the country and those who've lived their lives in the city tend to differing perspectives on the world. The, the world for a person in a wheelchair is literally different from the life of a person who is ambulatory because we are shaped by our bodies. We are our bodies, in a sense. Our physical surroundings are part and parcel of who we are. So how we use our bodies matters. How we shape the world around us matters. How we are shaped by and for relationship matters. The stories we tell, the poems we pen matter. And all of this is coming together for us at this time and in our day in a kind of happy coincidence as we embark on our first capital campaign in 20 years. If that's a surprise to you, I apologize. <laughs> we didn't set this Sunday because it was the story of the transfiguration, although we should have done, because it's about our surroundings. As you will hear if you will join us in Ellis Hall following this service, we are first and foremost about community. We have plans that are the distillation of years of conversation and study and strategic thinking and prayer. And we keep coming back to a focus on youth and, and emerging or young adults, not, not because we need more people necessarily, but because that's where the future of the church lies in the sense of the imagination that will shape what this community looks like in 25 or 50 years. But the important thing is there will be one. We can't have ministries without ministers. And so we pay attention to continuing to nurture the, this community in which we form friendships and form habits that talk about what really matters. And then once we've done that, we can look at the places in which we gather. We can um, make shabby gentility a virtue for only so long before we cross the line into disgusting. And, and, and I think we're at that point, or we're very, very close to it, when our surroundings begin to scream of our lack of concern for visitors and each other, and this community itself. And so we'll look at our major gathering spaces, remembering the importance of our stewardship of creation and our commitment to be as hospitable and accessible to everyone, including those with creaky joints, to everyone as much as possible. We'll look at the spaces in the parish house. One of the most treasured spaces we have is our courtyard, where we gather, we've got to dig it up because there's a pipe under there that's messing with the earth. And so we can put back something that takes care of our environment. We'll put in a water retention system, but, but equally important, makes it possible for people in, in chairs or with walkers to get around this campus, which is really, really difficult right now. And then, of course, we'll attend to this space, the heart of our practice of coming together to hear 
and in some ways enact the story of what really matters, our worship, our worship. We'll preserve the works of art in the windows that do shape our imaginations. We will restore our pews and kneelers so that those new to our myths cease thinking that we are secretly trying to injure them <laughs> with our exposed nails and separating wooden seams. Those of us who've been here in a long time can take pride in our expression that spaces matter when we talk of what really matters. It's here that we gather to be reminded of value and shaped by the story so that we live more freely and more graciously and more faithfully and more courageously and more generously than we ever imagined was possible for us. Transfiguration reminds us that our bodies matter and so do our surroundings. Our relationships matter. So let's create spaces worthy of a community that values relationship, spaces that are inviting, conducive to conversation, and which point to and partake of the beauty that is this community of faith. As we were once turned to see the world in a new light at our baptisms, so in the ten short weeks of this effort, let us begin to allow our vision to be shaped anew as we imagine what shape God's people might take in the future and create by God's grace and with God's help transfigured environments in which all of us, all of God's people, even those not yet with us, can flourish. When you pray for the success of this effort, pray that it will not only be measured in dollars, although God knows we need those, but offer as much as we can in that respect, but also pray that the renewing breath of the Holy Spirit will renew the flames of that first love that brought us here in the first place in search of meaning and purpose and reasonable and holy hope and friendship and community and, of course, love itself. In the next ten weeks, as we bring our gifts forward, we're going to sing one verse of a hymn. All the verses are printed in your bulletins today. But as we bring forward those token, tokens of our lives, our offerings of our lives for God's purposes, a sign of our desire for God's transforming grace, we're going to sing in prayer that we build a house where love can dwell, where prophets speak, where people dream, where friendships are forged around God's table and a place where all are deeply and truly welcome. A worthy work, a worthy challenge for one of the shining lights in God's church, this community, we the people of all saints. In response to the gospel and in honest thanksgiving and in silence, let us pray.